Today, we have an accidentally disastrous sequence of events leaving a wake of bodies in a city street. History's body-modded, bladed berserkers and the mystery of Britain's deadliest walking path. Once again, the time gets away. We are busy bees in this house, and I am partway through an outline and research for what is going to be a, I, th I hope so, a great historical alien series that I'm super excited about. But in that excitement also comes a feeling of, well, not needing to be perfect necessarily, but so much is complete. And I don't think it's there yet. That note aside, if you were expecting alien stuff this week, don't worry, it's still coming. I guess this episode has been de delayed enough that hopefully it's actually still coming this same week. What am I talking about? Who am I? I'm getting ahead of myself. This is Nightmare Now, and I'm your host, Eric Byrne. Welcome to the show. We chat historical craziness, cryptid chaos, alien abductions, mad science, and pretty much everything in between. Today's going to be a little bit of that in-between, I think. We're going to shoot from the hip and do a kind of scattershot crazy story roundup. Stuff that doesn't deserve a full episode, but still warrants a breakdown from yours truly. It's not like we're going to run out of show material anytime soon. And honestly, I know a lot of people really like this format of just doing a couple of quick stories. And I have a great recommendation for you. A podcaster friend of mine does a show called Dead Rabbit Radio, and he does a daily show that's Kind of similar in vain to this episode where he does two or three kind of obscure topics. I'll throw a link to his show in the show notes, but I think I've recommended it before. But um, yeah, check check that out for sure. With that said, let's zoom in on an idyllic street in Buenos Aires, the capital city of Argentina, October 21st, 1988. That's 34 years before I got married myself and one day. Anyway, it was a Friday evening. High 60s Fahrenheit, a little bit overcast. Gray skies. Late 80s fashion, which is like, what, pastel blazers and chains? Maybe a dangly earring on one side? I'm kind of just extrapolating from like the one episode of Miami Vice I saw as a kid. In the US, Red Red Wine by UB40 is topping the charts. I love looking up, I think I've talked about this on a previous show, but I love looking up, you know, when you have a definitive date for something, just finding out what is topping the charts at the time. You can just imagine cars passing and that blasting in the car stereo. Red Red Wine. So that's kind of the atmosphere that's going on here. It's probably some different music in Argentina. I imagine a lot of it is in Spanish, but... That's fine. I couldn't really find the Argentina top 40 hits from 1988. Buenos Aires literally means good air or good wind, but it was very much mall Aires that day. Bad wind. So a huge skyscraping apartment complex looms over a neon lit street. You get all these cool 80s cars going around, and then we zoom in to the 13th floor of this apartment building. And a dog, Kachi, he was a little poodle, a little white poodle, and he's playing around with the Montoya family, their kids, just running back and forth up on the balcony, having a grand old time, and then he falls. Kachi falls from the Montoya family's 13th floor apartment balcony. He's yipping. He's careening towards the ground. I'm going to do some napkin math real quick. I actually did this in my notes, obviously, because I can't do this off the cuff. But if we're if we're thinking like a 40-pound dog, because he's like a mid-sized poodle, maybe a two-square-foot footprint, and the 13th floor is going to be 130 feet 
off the ground or so, minus five, minus about five feet to six feet for a uh, person. We'll get into that later. The fall time of a creature of that mass falling that distance is just about two and three quarters of a second. The velocity at the impact is about 90 feet per second, given the acceleration of gravity and all that, but we don't need to... This isn't a physics podcast. With that being said, that's about a thousand newtons of force at the impact if the impact is over you know a half second or so that's like the energy needed to lift 250 pounds so if you're under the bench press trying to lift 250 pounds and you can feel how friggin' heavy that is imagine that impact and this is honestly if kachi impacted like was fully sprawled out and not skull first or anything that's fucked up to say but that's how it was but um the dog Splat hits 73-year-old Marta Espina directly on the head, killing her and the dog instantly. She falls to the ground. This is a tragedy in its own right. I mean, it's a freak accident that the dog managed to get off the balcony. She happened to be underneath it. Nobody could have predicted this. It's horrible. But it gets worse. So a crowd gathers around to see this Final Destination freak show, but it really doesn't end there. People are running across the street to call for help or to help out themselves or just see what the hell happened. They just heard two seconds of a yip, 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 and then a splat and a scream or something. 46-year-old Edith Sola rushes to the scene, but unfortunately he is not paying attention to her surroundings. And wham hit by a bus goes flying and she's ragdolled like a saints row character and also dies instantly panic sets in for everyone all this happens with a gasp three seconds of oh the humanity I just want to illustrate the fact that two people and a dog are instantly dead. And this is in, like, the pulsing nightclub beat in Argentina. And there's people gathered around everywhere that see this whole thing take place. One guy is paying altogether too much attention to his surroundings, looking too closely, and witnesses the entire scene unfold. He, I don't know if he was just checking out Marta or Edith or something, but he's looking at the whole thing and... It's this older guy and just three instant deaths in front of him across the street. The adrenaline in his heart surges up and sets his ticker into overdrive. And the unnamed man suffers a heart attack and gets put on his ass. He dies in the ambulance on the way from the scene. The dog has a better kill-death ratio than I do in Destiny. Triple kill. But it's just one of the most chaotic, like, three or four seconds in human history, outside of explosions. But something like this is just like this psychotic Rube Goldberg-style mousetrap-esque insane deaths, like in Final Destination. And it just goes to show, cherish every moment. Because you never really know when someone is going to hire a Christmas-themed drag queen to boot a noisy Akita off a balcony, turning your stroll into a Chinese fucking live leak video. You just gotta live today for you. Because when the Reaper comes knocking, there ain't much that can stop his razor-sharp scythe. Say that three times fast. How's that for a segue, though? Razor-sharp things. 
if you lost a hand or two nowadays, you can get a pretty advanced prosthetic. History's amputees weren't quite as lucky in general. Your options were basically a wooden or golden hand that was basically useless. I think I'd go with one of those extendo back scratchers. What's it called? It's telescoping. Telescoping. And uh, you can just reach down there and just hit the right spot. You had the option of a hook, but I guess we'll get into that early next year when we talk about piracy. Arr. The third option, and before somebody emails and is like, I'm actually Scrimbly Bingus attached a crossbow dildo launcher onto his hand in 1365 AD, spare me. I know there's more options. Well, I have a microphone, and you don't. So you will listen to every damn word I have to say! I know that there was multiple options for prosthetics, but still all of them pale in comparison to the options we have today, and all of them pale in badassery to the options I'm about to describe. With that clarified, that third option is, of course, affixing a knife or blade to your hand. Speaking of which, I gotta replay Cyberpunk 2077 with the Mantis Blades now that they did a new update for it. There's a few cool historical examples of this that are basically completely bonkers. Well, stabbers. If he had put a hammer on his hand, I guess it would be bonkers. So, in 2018, archaeologists discovered the crypt of a man in an Italian necropolis, but there were some peculiarities with the interred skeleton. He was a 40 to 50 year old male. His right arm was missing in between the wrist and the elbow. Skeletal signs pointed to some sort of blunt force trauma applied to destroy the hand or up to the wrist there. Maybe he got run over by a cart in some middle-aged insurance scam. Maybe he got stepped on by a horse. Or there's a decent chance this is this comes from the Longaboard people. I didn't look into this part at all. But apparently they were a warlike people, so they were fighting a lot. So it's not entirely unlikely that he could have lost this hand in battle. And laying across his chest in the coffin that they found was a knife with no handle. Probably just short of a foot long. And all the other warriors of similar age and build nearby had weapons at their sides. So there's a couple of neat sort of forensic skeletal things you can see here. There's a prosthetic pressure on the bones. So the radius and ulna, the two, the two bones that make up your wrist. You can actually feel them if you feel in your wrist, unless you have like Arnold Schwarzenegger wrist muscle. I don't even remember what the wrist muscles calls. Unless you have Arnold Schwarzenegger wrists and you can't feel the bones underneath. But if you press on the upper part with your left thumb next to your right thumb and the lower part of your wrist with like your ind your index and forefinger there, you can kind of feel those two bones. And what you see in this particular skeleton is a fusing of those two bones towards the wrist. So like basically right behind where you would have a watch, these two bones are fused together. And the only way that something like that's going to happen is a constant pressure applied over time. Namely, by something like a prosthesis. The elbow is nearly static. It doesn't show a lot of movement. Looks like it... Not that it was quite in a sling so much, but it was definitely held in that position for a lot of the time. Uh, some of those muscles had atrophy, and you can see remnants of that on the bone. And then there's some damage to the shoulder 
from a groove from a hyperextended movement. So say if you're putting your shoulder up all the time, that's something that's going to cause like a groove in the bone. And it's only going to cause that groove if it's a repetitive movement that's happening all the time, isn't given ample time to heal, etc, etc. And then the last kind of cool forensic bit of evidence we see in the body itself, there's more in the coffin, is there's tooth damage from constant biting on the right side. So imagine you're holding your right wrist up and you're missing your hand and instead you have a gigantic fucking knife for a hand. But that's all wrapped up with a leather strap. How are you going to tighten that up? I mean, you can't go all the time with your left hand. Your left hand's got to be doing stuff while the right hand is chopping. So he has a leather strap probably tied up to his shoulder or something that he can just bite down. I'm doing all the motions. I don't know why I'm doing the motions. This is an audio medium, but he can bite down on that strap and kind of pull it up. And that's probably the same motion that caused the groove in the shoulder blade, like the clavicle. You can see all of this stuff about how this man lived just by the details of his skeleton. And the the tooth damage was so significant that this must have been a constant movement, so much so that it drove one of the teeth up into his skull and caused some damage to his jawbone. And I think that forensic bone stuff is so cool. Further evidence in the skeleton and the body and the burial site is a buckle which seems to be pretty much a shoe in there, and decayed organic material around the base of the arm where that radius and ulna had fused together. Likely, the remnants of leather straps. And so there's some cool takeaways from this guy too. We don't know a whole lot about this particular civilization and what this guy's deal was, how he lost his arm, and all this stuff. But we do know is that he exhibited advanced healing. So this meant he survived a long time after his operation, or he was Wolverine. He was like a medieval Wolverine, and he had some kind of mutant healing factor, but we'll set that aside. The fact that he lived long enough for his bones to fuse and stuff after a amputation in medieval times is a miracle in its own right, because this was pre-antibiotics. Pre-antibiotic amputation was not usually successful. I mean, it was successful in that you would lose the hand or whatever, but it wasn't generally successful in the fact that you would lose your entire life to go with it. I I probably talked a little bit about this in the uh, Robert Liston episode, but that was like 37 episodes ago at this point, so who knows? I haven't listened to it in a while, but that's a fun one. But this guy basically managed to avoid infection adapt to his new spot in life and continue living for another, you know, 10, 20, 30 years after whatever accident or punishment or whatever caused this loss of limb. And the whole time he's doing it with a knife strapped to his hand, to the stump of his hand or the like embedded in it, but uh, more likely wrapped around because of all the leather and biting and to keep it tight and stuff. Yeah, it's it's pretty spectacular. So this was from about the 6th to 8th century, time frame wise. And this guy was basically just staring death in the face through infection, inability to really care for himself in the way that somebody with two hands could, and stared death in the face, and was just swinging his knife 
hand around at him. So next, we have somebody that we know a little bit more about, but we don't have his skeleton, unfortunately. And this is just one of the most badass stories I've heard in a long time, from start to finish. So let's just begin in media res on this one. It's November 8th, 1557 in northern Chile, near the mouth of the Bio Bio River. I don't know if that's how you say that, or if it's Bio Bio River. I'm gonna go Bio Bio, why not? And uh, apparently this is near Los Angeles, Chile, which is hilarious that that exists. Like, can you imagine being a young actor stepping off the plane, and it's like, but, but where's the Hollywood sign? You get off, it's like, welcome to Los Angeles. And it's also, welcome to Los Angeles, Chile. And I looked at it, it's like probably, you know, 30 city blocks. Or, it's obviously a very fucking small town. So I just imagine some person fresh out of uh, school for the performing arts or whatever is just gets off like he's in... Um, that bit part in Annie where it's like two bucks, three bags, one me. And he gets off the plane and it's just like a bunch of dudes in rickshaws and just very, very much not Los Angeles. I don't know. That whole thing was making me laugh for like 20 minutes while I was doing the research for this show. But anyway, if we get back to the story of our boy Galvarino, it's November 8th, 1557 northern Chile near the mouth of the Bio Bio River. The Spanish Empire stands off against the Mapuche in the Battle of Lagunillas. In this particularly disastrous battle for the Mapuche, they lost 300 men and 150 more of them were captured. The Spanish in this battle only lost two men. There's a hell of a lot of wounded, but they only had two casualties. Tech superiority is a hell of a drug. So one of the Mapuche captives was a young commander by the name of Galvarino. The 150 captives each were sentenced after a small, but very likely very biased trial. These are Spanish missionary Catholics conquerors so you're not getting a whole lot of leeway or a fair shake at things i think at this point but they're sentenced to have their nose and their right hand chopped off and that that feels like a lot right like you need the fucking octopus hibachi chef from monsters inc i barely like cutting up hot dogs for mac and cheese like this is some industrial de-handing and de-nosing you have 150 people and presumably you have like three or four tree stumps. But this is like a whole opera. This must have taken hours. This must have taken all day. Where you're going and none of those people want to put their hand on the tree stump and get it hacked off with an axe. And let alone their nose. Like how do you even do that without casualties and stuff? Like the whole thing doesn't make that much sense. But it's apparently what happened. And you know. In medieval times, we were a lot more into removing hands and stuff, so maybe they had a good system for it. I know in, in parts of the Arab world, you still can get your hand chopped off for stealing and stuff, so I imagine that they, they swing a, a big scimitar to hack those things off pretty damn quick. But even if you had a good... Like, even if you had some kind of assembly line-style machinery to cut off... Like... Imagine how much you're going to have to force these people to stick their hands in the hand guillotine and everything. The, just the logistics of it are completely silly. Anyway, 
how they do it isn't really described. I Like I said, I imagine it's some sort of... There's actually a couple of like woodcuts and illustrations from this time. And it seems like the case was that they had some kind of tree stump, altar, cutting board style device. And they would just hack them off with axes and stuff. But just corralling that many people. Like I can't even get 150 people to listen to the show in a week. Let alone round them up and cut their hands off. I didn't even really think of this stuff till now. Like the logistics of cutting off that many hands. Like, it's got to be multiple blades, right? I mean, if you're trying to cut... I was making pulled pork a couple of weeks ago, and I was I was trying to cut through, like, a pork neck or whatever. And I just had to sharpen my knife just to do that. Like, can you imagine using kitchen tools on 150 hands? It j- Okay, I'm getting hung up on this part. But this part isn't really the important part. I ima- Let's just say they had a friggin' lightsaber to do it. So they cut off everybody's hands. And that doesn't even touch the people that had both hands cut off. So all the commanders, all the people they perceive to be in charge of this ill-fated attack, they cut off both of their hands because that's the Spanish Catholic way, I guess. So they do that to people, and notably they do that to our boy Galvarino. And basically they smack all of them on the ass and say, Go, tell your people what happened here, as people do in all sorts of dramatic tales. Surely this will demoralize the entire populace of the Mapuche, right? Of course not. That's not what happened. Galvarino and the others returned to their people, fired up and angry and handless. Galvarino gives an inspiring speech, holding up both of his now stumps, and it's paraphrased here, but this is the fate that awaits us all if we do not fight. Will you stand with me while you still have hands to take up arms? pun intended or will you fight alongside me to the last finger and basically the speech was so inspiring that the mapuche council was like give that man a big squadron he will lead us into the next battle gentlemen we can rebuild him we have the technology and rebuild him they did taking his bloodied stumps to hot blades and fire they cauterized the wounds And keep in mind, he's got his nose cut off, too. A lot of the accounts of this don't mention the fact that they were cutting everybody's nose off, too. So not only does this guy not have hands, he also doesn't have a fucking nose. He looks like Red Skull. And I know the Hobbit movies weren't that great. They were fun, sure. And uh, it was at a a point in my life where it was fun to smuggle six McChickens in a down jacket and walk through a mile of snow to go see the Hobbit. So it was like an unexpected journey in its own right. I haven't watched them now, so I don't know how they hold up. But what I'm getting at is this guy basically turned into Azog the Defiler. Like, he he was that that weird pale white orc that um, Thorin cut his hand off. And he got like a... He got like a kebab fork for a hand. So it's not quite as cool as this. But he also didn't... He kind of had slit noses. So... This guy is screaming. I imagine his voice sounds totally different, too, because his nose is all chopped off. But next, they lash knife blades to both of his stumps after they cauterize the wound. So he's got these, like, clumpy, sealed-off wrist fists. And they lash the knives to him with some uh, historical accounts claiming they were lance-sized. Now, imagine you're a GameStop. And this guy lances your ass. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, 
okay, I, I don't buy the lance thing because a lance is like, what, 10 feet long? Something like that. I'm picturing a foot long, maybe 18 inches. Either way, it's going to be bigger than whatever you're getting at Subway, but you know, screw it. It's open to interpretation. For hand blades to be lance-sized, that, that feels unwieldy more so than just hand blades that would be any smaller size. Unless he's, like, galloping around on him on, uh, like, using him as stilts. Now, that would be fucking hilarious. And he's got, like, a spear in his toes. So he's just like, kung, kung, kung. <laughs> I'm trying to think of any kind of character that has... I think there's some Toy Story character that walks around on his hands. He's got... Was it the duck? Yeah, imagine the duck character in Sid's room in Toy Story walking around on his hands but his hands are fucking lances and he has a spear in his toes that none of that is true none of that is relevant at all basically picture like a badass native Chilean man probably ripped I would imagine so because of all this running around and stuff he's got two like 18 inch blades in lieu of hands and he doesn't even have a nose so he has this like gaunt skeletal visage basically and you you better believe he was doing some kind of skull war paint you would have to right i mean in south america central america they have day of the dead and everything so you the dude had he's got to be showing up in like skull face paint that i don't know if that's culturally insensitive but that's how i'm imagining it now like i said i don't buy the lance thing but the image is cool nonetheless with the shorter blades. And for what it's worth, I'm also not going to be the one pulling out a tape measure and correcting him while he's charging towards me and I have a five minute reload time on my shitty arquebus, which was basically like the, the earliest firearm. And as soon as you start saying stuff about early firearms, you know... I know I'm going to rake in the well actuallys and let me have it. I love the engagement. Bring it on. I was watching this documentary about like feudal Japan or, or something. And they were talking about how they would arm a bunch of the civilians with the archibus, which was, it was like a staff that could shoot like one pellet at a time. I'm just going to stop talking about it because of all the corrections I'm going to get. But anyway, the Mapuche's plan was simple. Now that they had their badass knife commander, their plan was to ambush and blindside the Spanish from the side before they could organize and turn their heavy weapons and artillery to bear. Because this stuff takes a long time to move around. When you've got cannons and stuff, some of this stuff needs horses, donkeys, and stuff just to like aim it. Or it needs a ton of men to roll it around and point it in the correct direction. So they were gonna they were smart enough to hit them from the side where none of the weapons were pointing. And you would think if you were the Spanish, you'd just kind of point them in a outward facing circle until you're ready to go. But I don't know. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't the commander back then. That was a uh, governor Mendoza. But honestly, it was a pretty solid plan. The Mapuche outnumbered them. There was about 20,000 Mapuche soldiers and about 6,000 of the Spanish. Plus all their gunpowder and high-tech weapons and artillery and stuff like that. So they were outnumbered 33 to 1 in this fight. So, like I said, it was a pretty good plan of attack against a superior technological force, even if they were reduced numbers. So the ambush was set, and the Spanish were none the wiser. They had no fucking clue that they were just, like, hiding in the bushes. 
this dude had his, he was just like, oh, actually, hold on. This dude was basically just like, <laughs> sitting in the bushes, getting ready to just chop the ever-living hell out of people. The Spanish had no idea. Even their scouts were occupied with the celebration of San Andreas, the Catholic celebration of St. Andrew, who was the guy that introduced his brother Peter to Jesus. I'm really not up on my 12 disciples lore, so that's really all I got on St. Andrew. But maybe we'll get into that on another time. There's a lot of cool stuff in the Bible that we'll get to eventually, like the giants or the angels and all kinds of stuff. And the flood myths. I definitely got to do something on that. Anyway, ironically, it was not knowing about Christianity, which was why both armies were at war with each other. The Spanish were trying to convert the natives. I mean, obviously, they're trying to steal the land and claim their place for Catholicism and Spain and all that stuff in the Spanish Empire. But it was not knowing that it was a Christian holiday that eventually doomed the Mapuche at the Battle of the Milarapu. Silly words. So because they didn't know it was a feasting day and the trumpets just blew at dawn to signal wakey wakey eggs and bakey the mapuche thought that they had been detected so the spanish just like did a couple of blasts of the horn they're like this is great this is november 30th this is san andreas day we're just gonna pig out we're not gonna worry about getting attacked none of that's gonna happen it's gonna be great and the mapuche hear this giant horn they're like that is no orc horn and um they're like if if we got spotted just now we gotta go right now because if we don't they're gonna have time to turn their artillery around and just light us up and so they're just like fuck it we ball and <laughs> galvarino tells them to charge and he gives an inspiring battle cry to the effect of Nobody is allowed to flee but to die, because you die defending your mother country. And so he moves up ahead of the squadron that he got a little bit distance. And as he's like waving people down the hill with his knife hands, just like, go, go, go. <laughs> he's like, although I would rather die first, and although I no longer have hands, and if I lose my arm blades... You should see what I'm going to do to these people with my teeth. So he basically charges down the hill like he's a fucking scyther. Man, I have been looking for a shiny scyther forever. If anyone has one in Pokemon Go and they are willing to part with it, just hit me up at nightbearnow.com. Alternatively, if you're not into Pokemon, the guy literally looks like Baraka from Mortal Kombat, minus the teeth. Although he does have a pretty grim aspect to his face because of the whole nose thing or if let's be discerning here and we can have multiple random dumb pop culture references for an out of left field third nerdy option we have uh death leaper one of the special tyranids from warhammer i, I had his magic deck for a little bit basically this fucking alien is fighting you it's a whole lot to get into and i honestly don't know it and i'm sure it's gonna make people really mad but this lore was kind of fun where there was the cardinal salem salem's great by the way if you're in mass check it out we had a great time there doing our yearly trip down to salem but the cardinal salem is the ruler of this planet the aliens are saying you know if we killed cardinal salem 
he's going to be a martyr and he's going to make everyone fight harder. So we send in Death Leaper. And then this guy just jumps in and he tears Salem's bodyguard to pieces, his closest advisors to pieces, and like gets his arm blades. And that's the connection there. I'm not just riffing off of nothing within an inch of this guy's throat. And then just poof, bye bye. And then he does it again. For the next 10 days, everybody that this guy is nearby gets ripped in half by this alien. And we're way off track now, but I don't really care. And he does it day after day after day. And eventually the Cardinal Salem guy just goes completely insane. He's like, why doesn't he kill me? He could kill me at any moment. It's basically like Javert in Les Mis, where it's like, he could have taken that final blow. Anyway, I don't know where, okay. You know, that kind of thing might be fun for, like, bonus content down the line where I just do Nightmare Now episodes on stuff that is 100% entirely fictional. Like, I definitely do that already. Last week with the squonk and stuff, that's completely a fabricated creature. But it falls in line with cryptid lore, so it's okay. And none of this alien stuff can be fully proven and everything. But some things, I'm not just going to show up and, and do an episode on fucking Dementors or something and be like, this is how biologically they steal your soul and suck it out of your mouth hole or whatever. But uh, that might be something fun to do. Okay, where was I? Anyway, he's running down the hill like Scyther Baraka or uh, Death Leaper. Pick whatever favorite character you have that has nice knives for hands. Or just be a historical purist and be like, he's running down the hill like Galvarino himself. Because he is. And anyway, the trumpets go off and the Mapuche blow their load too early. They run in and they just get absolutely obliterated by the Spanish. It's, I wish it was a more heroic ending here, but it it really isn't. They have 3,000 casualties, which when I first read that, I was like, holy shit, that feels like that's all of them. But there's 20,000 of them, so... 16,000 got away. And that math is right because they captured 800 of them, including our boy Galvarino. But this was not before my man got his licks in. He was leaping through the crowd. I imagine he's just doing like a, um, he's just spinning around like a Beyblade, just chopping people up. Because at that point, like, what do you got to, you can't even feed yourself most of the time unless you're eating, I don't know, chicken tenders. You can spear them and put them on there. But the dude is is fighting for his homeland. He doesn't care if he lives or dies. He just wants to bring the fight to the top level Spaniards that he can. And so he's dodging through the shitty firearms, the arquebuses and everything that are firing off to his left and to his right and up and down and all around. I mean, each one, if they miss, which is very likely to miss because you couldn't aim the damn things, has like a five minute reload that they have to do where they have to like open up a little packet of powder and pour it in there and jam it down with a stick and do all that stuff. And he would just run up and slash them to pieces. <laughs> and it's just like, can you imagine if you're, you just miss your shot and this guy is running at you, he's got no nose, he's got arms for hands, he's doing like an anime Naruto run towards you and just like slashes the guy in front of you and you're just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> But somehow, through some, I don't know, divine intervention or just stat boost from arm blades, he managed to slash his way all the way through the lower ranks of the Spaniards and get all the way to Governor Mendoza's second in command. 
and just tear him to pieces, like fillet him right there on the battlefield just completely rip him apart and you can just youtube any of um baraka's fatalities from any mortal Kombat game and i'm i'm sure it'd give you a pretty accurate representation of what went on there i'll throw some of those in the show notes gruesome stuff those mortal Kombat games so he managed to fight through get a bunch of kills kill the second in command and deal like a huge blow to the spanish forces through that even though the battle was like a decisive loss but he ended up a martyr he ended up to this day people are telling his story of this badass knife hand guy that fought the spanish and won a little bit after his capture he was unceremoniously thrown to spanish dogs to be torn apart or hung actually well Hung is like you have a monster cock, so I'm sure he was hung, but the correct term is hanged. Fun fact for you pedantic dudes that keep hitting me with the, actually, the potato was invented in this every episode. Hanged is the past tense for death by hanging. Hung is for everything else. And you know what? Don't stop sending in the at well actuallys because I try and include them. One of the most recent ones was, uh, I think I said that the, doom guy was commander keen's grandfather and it's really reversed because it's like the guy from wolfenstein is the father of commander keen who's the father of the doom guy who's the grandfather of the doom slayer from i'm not gonna get into doom timelines or id software timelines right now but i love getting that stuff so keep it coming if I get stuff wrong, I love to hear about it. I won't acknowledge it sometimes, but, you know, it is what it is. I love to hear from you all. But before he was executed, whether that was by dogs or whether he was hanged or whether he just, like, stabbed himself with his own knife blades to deny them the pleasure, like Count Dooku'd himself or something, he said I something like, I would rather die than live like you. And I'm only sorry that my death will keep me from tearing you to pieces with my teeth. And that was pretty much when he was asked to join the Spanish or die. Because obviously, if you have this inspiring leader and you can get him to join your side and tell the tell the natives to be like, you know, the Spanish aren't that bad. Like, maybe we could get something out of this. Like, uh, I hear Barcelona's nice this time of year kind of thing. <laughs> and... But, of course, he goes out like a hero, and he does not, not a turncoat, he's not a Benedict Arnold, and he's just like, let me at you, I'll bite at your ankles or whatever, just like the friggin' Monty Python Black Knight. Either way, like, what a cool fucking story. The Mapuche people eventually win, almost 300 years later in 1825, when Chile declares independence from spain and there's a bunch of like tacky references at the end of all the articles the mapuche fight government oppression to this day it's like okay but nobody's cutting people down with knives for hand so it's like it's not the same it's like lobbying and stuff if i'm wrong on that and there's there's still mapuche carry on the story and tradition of hacking people to pieces with arm blades like i'm super into hearing that i'm tired and i think the next stuff i was going to cover is um like a perfect opener for the next time i have to do some kind of scattershot multi small story episode but if you're really thirsty for another story because i know i promised three uh, technically i 
delivered three because we had the poodle, we had the Italian knife guy, and then we had the Chilean knife guy, but yeah, whatever. I have another quick story, kind of like the first, closer to the first one than the second one, so now we got two kind of crazy animal accident stories. So in 2011 in Canada, there was a freak road accident where someone hit a black bear and sent the 440-pound creature flying into the other lane of traffic, the oncoming lane of traffic. That dude must have been hauling to hit bear that big and just send it flying. And the article for this is nuts. It's from Reuters, I think. And you know how articles these days say like, oh, you know, one minute read or like five minute read, just so you you don't, there's never the worry of having to like miss a dopamine hit of reading something really fast. And it's just like, oh, says a one minute article. And it says the bear careens through the windshield of a car on the other side of the highway, killing both the 25-year-old male driver and the 40-year-old woman in the back seat. Why wasn't she in the passenger seat? Like, was it an Uber or something? The 25-year-old male driver and a 40-year-old woman passenger. For more on cougars, check out the P-22 episode. (laughs) Not only am I speaking ill of the dead from 2011 and their implied sexual impropriety, the bear was going so fast it blew out the back of the car as well. Like, what were these guys driving that the bear just gets knocked through the wall like he got punched by the Hulk in some fucking Marvel comic? He goes flying out of the rear windshield and there's like a solemn one sentence closing line on the article. It says, the bear also died. Aww. There's another funny line. It's like a Mountie also commented. You don't see this too often, eh? And yeah, I would hope not. I hope you don't have bears getting knocked through walls like they're in one punch man or something often. But, you know, Canada's doing a lot of crazy shit these days. So who knows? You know, life is cheap, and that's what makes it so beautiful. You never really know when a poodle might get dropped on you from 13 floors up, or a bear can go flying through your whole body at 60 miles an hour, or the 1,500 Spaniards amputate your hands. I guess unless you're into, like, time travel stuff, that last one's not as likely. But to be fair, the other stuff isn't likely either, and it all happened. So... Take what's left of your time here on this planet, in this existence. Cherish it. Enjoy your family. Drop me a five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. That helps me out a ton. Hug your kids. And thank you all so much for listening. And welcome to the best month of the year. The highest point of engagement for horror comedy podcasts. October. The eighth month of the Roman Empire's calendar. Which I hear is quite popular right now. But it's the 10th month in our calendar, which sucks. Blame Augustus, I guess. Stay tuned this month for aliens, vampires, and I don't know, maybe we'll get into some pumpkins. See where Jack Lankins came from, because I have no fucking idea. We'll see how far we go. And lastly, I want to wish a very happy birthday to a very special fan of the show, Dana. We love you. I would say sweet dreams, but we all know it's only going to be nightmares now. Yeah.